Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, we'll be reading verses 30 and 31. 30 and 31. The last two verses of that chapter. Since before last Christmas, our church has been on a journey uh, through the Gospel of John. And this week and next week, we're, in, we're concluding that journey. John opens his Gospel in this way. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It is truly a, a peculiar time of year, because the light of the Gospel, the light of the story of Jesus shines through in a pretty secular society, right? This time of year in our gift giving, we are the most staunch unbeliever oftentimes gives gifts signifying that this is a time of year when we celebrate love and giving and ultimately the giving of the Father of His Son. We can turn on network TV and turn on Charlie Brown Christmas. And we can see Linus drop that security blanket of his and, and read from the Scriptures the story of the birth of Christ. We turn on music this morning. Uh, I listened to James Taylor sing about uh, the, In the Bleak Midwinter, which is a song about how to worship Christ because of what he's done for us. Now, I know James Taylor's not a believer. I like his voice. I always have. And it's cool to get to hear him sing of the story. And that's the way it, it seems like in our society, no matter how much they try to commercialize it and, and, and change it and, and, and make it, take God out of it, the story always shines through the, the darkness. The light shines through the darkness, even in our increasingly secular society. And no body of writing captures the story quite like the Gospel of John. It is, it is set apart from what is known as the synoptic Gospels, which are the first three Gospels, because it's very different. John kind of chose very different angles, many times different stories to include it's much more novel uh like and epic than the other gospels but like the story that shines through at christmas the purpose of john is not just to entertain it's not just to inspire but most importantly it's written to save towards the end of the book john states just exactly why he wrote his gospel. And this is what he says in verse 30. Now Jesus did many other, th other signs in the presence of the disciples, 
which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now, if you really examine that, there's really three key words in here uh, that, that, is, uh, that state the purpose of John, and that is sign, signs, it is belief, and it is life. And it's really interesting because if you, if you're where you, you know, if you had a computer this week, you can do this. Plug each one of those words into a search of the Gospel of John, and you'll realize John is an incredibly gifted writer. He's an incredibly gifted writer because you will find the word sign time and time again in his Gospel. You will find belief all over. There are almost a hundred mentions of belief in his Gospel. Very few of his chapters, of the chapters of his Gospel, don't include the word belief. And then you type in life and you'll see just as belief is, it's all over this Gospel. John's purpose in writing his Gospels was to present signs or present evidence so that we might believe and therefore have life in the name of Jesus. This is why John is called the great evangelist because that's what the Gospel of John is about. He wants you to read it. He wants us to read it. And he wants us to believe. And he wants us to have life. And folks, that's the greatest gift. That is the number one gift that's ever been given. It's Christ and all that comes through belief in Him. And so I just want us to look at three things that God has given us through John's purposes in writing this book. First, Jesus gives mankind evidence of his identity. The first purpose of John's book was to present evidence. He is documenting the signs that Jesus performed. He says that there are many signs that he doesn't include. In fact, when he closes the entire book of the Gospel, he says, hey, the world couldn't contain all that Jesus did. So John kind of served as this editor as he looked through the events. He told the story his way because he desired for us to believe and, and to give that evidence of Christ as Lord. He begins his Gospel saying, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he, John wants us to know through his accounting that flesh, God stepped out into our world in flesh. He really was here. He really was born in that manger. And according to John, there were, there were signs that he did. Here are the signs that John includes in his Gospel. Changing the water into wine at Cana. Number two, hearing the royal, uh, or healing the royal official's son in Capernaum in John chapter 4. Healing the, uh, the paralytic at, in, at Bethesda in John chapter 5. Feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6. Jesus walking on the water also in John chapter 6. 
healing the man uh, blind from birth in John 9, and the raising of Lazarus in John 11, and then of course, the sign of his own resurrection recorded in John 20 and 21. John has laid out this case for the reality of Jesus, that these are real events, these really happen, that's what he wants us to know. This isn't legend, this is real. Now I'm a, fi- I'm a fan of true crime. My wife thinks I'm crazy and, and gross for this, but I like to, to read about bad guys getting captured. And I really sometimes am interested in cold cases because sometimes the bad guy hasn't been caught yet because over time it becomes harder and harder to solve a case, right? If it's happened 20 or 30 years ago, they collected evidence very different than they do now, and so there may be less evidence. And when you go around trying to, you may begin to work a new theory, and you go around and you talk to people whether memory has begun to fade. And sometimes I think we, we look at the accounting of the Scriptures and we say, it was so long ago. How can, how can I know? Where's the evidence? Is it, I mean, the evidence is there, but it's so old. What we have to realize is that when John wrote this, it was not like that. John wrote to people near the events that had transpired. Notice how John actually opens his letter, his epistle, to the churches. In John 1.1, he said, this is how he opens, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. There's a grit in these words that that are not sanitized by thousands of years. He's saying, hey, we saw Him. We touched Him. We saw the things that He did. This is no fairy tale. There was a real baby born in time and space. On a certain night, in a certain barn, He came into our our world. He then walked this earth and He turned water into wine. He healed the sick. He fed thousands with a little basket of food. He walked on the sea. He raised the dead. And then He Himself was raised and walked the earth again. John wrote to people who had seen these things or had heard from them from relatives who had seen it firsthand. We are not asked to believe upon Christ without evidence. God, in His mercy, He gave us the Scriptures so that we can examine and test. He's not afraid. He's not afraid for you to read the Scripture and put it to the test. He's given us evidence. Not only has He presented evidence, He His purpose is for us to do something in light of the evidence. And that is that Jesus gives mankind, and through the purpose of John, the call to believe. Verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So why must we believe? Because belief is the door of salvation. Remember when Jesus was approached by Nicodemus and they began to talk about salvation. And Jesus told him, you have to be 
born again and he began to question that. Well, how in the world can I become born again? And Jesus proclaimed to them, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Belief is how we're brought into the salvation of our Lord. This is how we come to know Him. This is how we are adopted into God's family by believing. So who must believe? John wrote, so that you may believe. You who are reading His Gospel, you must believe. Many of you might have come from Christian homes. You had godly parents and godly grandparents. and Thanks be to God for that. But know that their belief cannot save you. You must believe. When the woman at the well heard the Gospel, she believed and then she went about telling everyone in Samaria who would listen. And here's what they say to her in in chapter 4, verse 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So it's got to be a personal belief, folks. You, you, can't, you can't be saved on your parents' confession. You can't be saved on your grandparents' confession. You can only be saved upon your confession, your profession of Christ. That is, it's got to be personal. It's got to be yours. So John says, I wrote this so that you may believe. But what must we believe? What is it that we need to believe to to know God, to have salvation? Verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's not enough to believe that He was a good guy. It's not enough to believe, hey, this was a great story. It's not enough to believe that He was a good teacher It's not enough to like him and think he was a great guy. You must believe a certain thing about him and that certain thing is that he is the Christ, the Son of God. We see the people in John who confess Christ, that's what they believe. They believe this specific thing. The people of Samaria said, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Martha confessed. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. you got to believe that certain thing about Him, that he, he truly was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. In the ministry of Jesus, when you look through the Gospel of John, you see... Many believed, and many didn't. There are those, some, some simply believed because they heard His teaching. His teaching was so good that they believed that He was the Son of God. Verse 
John 4, 41, and many more believe because of His Word. There were many who saw these signs in John that John writes about. They saw them firsthand, and they still wouldn't believe. John 12, 37, though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe Him. Not even Jesus' own family, His brothers, were told in John 7, 5, did not even believe in Him. Now, we... We believe that James and others came to believe in him later. But not even they believed in him at the time. And despite many not believing in him throughout the book of the Gospel of John, Jesus does not seem shocked. He doesn't even seem bothered by it because Jesus is, the Christ, Jesus is Christ the Lord whether we believe in him or not. C.S. Lewis said this, A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship Him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. Your disbelief does not hurt God. It hurts you. John 3.18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So John, as we study his book, he's commanding us, believe, believe. But why believe? What's what's in it for us, we might say? Well, Jesus gives all who believe life in his name and that by believing you may have life in his name what it says now like the word belief the word life permeates the gospel of john the work of of jesus in his obedient life and his obedient death it, it, it purchased for us eternal life the the very famous summary verse of the Gospel, John 3.16, right? That we see at sporting events because it's, it is a great summary. It says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God gave His Son so that we might have eternal life. Christ did the work and we received the benefits but we do not receive those benefits automatically we are connected to that benefit the benefit of the eternal life through faith through believing it says by believing you may have life in his name by believing you may have life in his name christ again and again uh, in the scripture in, in the gospel of john refers to himself as the bread of life Eternal life comes through Jesus and His work on the cross. It's not about you cleaning yourself up. It's not about you fixing this or fixing that, then coming to Christ. No, it is Christ who's done the work to give you eternal life. It is His obedience. It's His perfect obedience to the Father and the Father's commands and His obedient death on the cross. That is where eternal life comes. It's through His work. Believe on Him and receive the greatest gift that has ever been given. Eternal life 
is precious. Let me tell you something, folks. Life is good. Amen? In John 10.10, Jesus gave the contrasting missions of Him and Satan. He says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Listen to me. Satan's only desire is to rip your life apart. In the garden, he deceived Adam and Eve. He said, hey, God's not really good. God's not really good. He does not want what's best for you. No. He's trying to keep you down. He's trying to be a the cosmic killjoy. And the sad thing is, is he hasn't changed that strategy. He's still saying the same lie to us. Hey, God's not really good. You need to disobey him in this area because it's fun. It's pleasurable. How long will you be content with feasting at the devil's trough? Time and time again, we, we circle back to the same sins over and over again. Not only do they not satisfy, they destroy. They rip at the seams of our lives. What Satan offers is death. Death to your marriage and every relationship you hold dear. Death to your good name and character. Death, death, death to your joy. But Christ, he came and He lived a perfect life that we could never live and died the death we deserved, not only to offer us life, but life abundantly. Don't you love those words? Life, not just life, life abundantly is what He's offering us. What we need to know that we so often forget is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit want good for us that is beyond what we could possibly imagine. When we seek to obey Him, when we seek to live God's way, He brings life to our marriage and all of our relationships we hold dear. He gives us good and fruitful lives. He brings more joy than we could possibly imagine both in this life and in the life to come. Folks, it's a no-brainer. Cozy up to the snake that wants to consume you or cozy up to the Father who wants to bring you under His protective wings and care for you. It's a no-brainer. Flee to Christ. Go to Christ. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus is very clear to Define for us what eternal life is. While the abundant life in Christ takes on many forms, the root of the abundant life is, is to know God. Jesus defines eternal life for us in His high priestly prayer in John 17. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So that's how he defines eternal life. It's knowing God. It's knowing Christ whom he sent. 
It's having that intimate relationship with Him. That's the abundant life. It's about knowing God and, and finding our joy in Him. You know, sometimes being a dedicated follower of Christ means you work real hard at work. You put in a good, good, a good day's work. You're trustworthy. And sometimes being a follower of Christ at work means you get a promotion. And it means you make more money so you can pour money back into the kingdom and the God that you love. And sometimes being a follower of Christ in a, in a, in a country that doesn't welcome Christianity means you and your family get cut down way too early. Can I tell you this morning that both of those scenarios led to abundant life? Whether it's the martyr who enjoys all of eternity having been martyred for the glory of God and knowing God in that way, knowing Him. Or whether it's the businessman who just followed Christ and got promoted because of it. That the promise holds true that there's an abundant life for all who follow Christ no matter what the end is. It's eternal life and it's abundant life and you will never, ever, ever regret following and loving and embracing belief and obedience to Christ. You won't. You won't ever regret it. So in closing... We've seen in John the evidence. What will you do with that evidence? Will you believe on Jesus as the Christ and receive eternal life or will you reject it and know death? John 3.36 says there's only one way. Only two ways, I'm sorry. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Light is shining through. Will you embrace that life with your belief, with your trust in that, that, that Jesus was Christ, the Son of God, and therefore receive that eternal life? Or will you reject that light, reject the story, and therefore know the wrath of God. Christian, maybe you just, you haven't been seeking Christ like you should be. You, you haven't been looking to Him and, and finding your rest in the Gospel and, and, and studying Him. and You've been living like a, someone that doesn't believe and and remember that he, what He's offering for you is life, is abundant life. And that abundant life is found in just always drawing close to Him and, and Him bringing life into, into your life. Life into your marriage, life into your relationships. If you would just seek Him more, He wants to do that. He wants to not just give you the abundant life to, of the life to come, but the abundant life right now. How will you respond to the evidence? How will you respond? Believe and have life or reject and have death?
your choice this morning. I ask you to please stand as our musicians come. I'll be down front if you need to talk. There are people around you who would love to talk to you. Pray with you about whatever is on your heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for God, John's gospel. I thank you for his purpose. That people might know you and believe and have life. God, I want that same purpose. God, help us, all the Christians here, that we would have that same purpose of John, of helping people see it and praying that they believe and, and, and know the life that you are offering. God, if there's anyone here who has not yet embraced the light that has come into our world, God, I pray that they would do so today and know and know you for the first Christmas of their lives. Know the true meaning. Know the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.